This is Upwell, a new podcast from Only One, featuring entrepreneurs, advocates, and leaders working to protect and restore the ocean and the planet. And I'm your host, Aaron Kinnery. Today, we have Pat Schnettler, founder of 12 Tides, a company that makes climate-positive kelp chips that are good for both the health of people and the planet. Let's dive in. Great to meet. Um, I just wanted to start uh, by getting a sense of how you first got involved in seafood and aquaculture. Yeah. Uh, so before starting 12 Tides, spent a number of years in big seafood, uh, commercial fishing and aquaculture in different parts of the world. Worked on everything from factory trawlers up in Alaska to net pen fish farms down in Mexico, shrimp farms in Indonesia and everything in between. So saw a lot of the dark sides of the world of global seafood. Uh, about 90% of our seafood in the United States is imported. Most of it goes through you know, long and opaque supply chains and supply chains that don't incentivize the most environmentally positive practices um, at the primary producer level. So uh, after witnessing a lot of that, I was incredibly inspired by how our ocean was currently intersecting with the food system. And that led me to the idea of regenerative ocean farming and trying to make that a bigger part of the uh, ocean food system. And when did you launch 12 Tides? Well, so we started working on it in uh, 2019. Um, that is when I basically came home from Maine with some like huge garbage bags worth of kelp, and I stored those in our you know house next to, to Stanford, and um, my roommates will never forgive me for it. Uh, we Our house smelled like kelp for uh, you know months on end as I sort of tested out things in our our own kitchen there. Uh, I moved from there into like a little commissary and I started selling at farmer's markets then. And that was in sort of late 2019. And we did that for about a year uh, before we got to a point. And I think the example I like to use is uh, at the farmer's market where a guy found me in the parking lot like before the farmer's market started because he knew that I was going to sell out and his kids and his family were going to have a heart attack if he didn't have our product that week. And so like weirdly like found me uh, in the parking lot to you know buy a couple of cases. And I was like, all right, I think we're in a, we're in a decent spot now. So we launched in retail then in November of 2020 at Erewhon was our first uh, major retail customer. That's a great spot to start. So you... Basically, you bought some kelp from farmers in Maine. Is that what happened? And then you just started making it out of your own kitchen at first? Yeah. And, and I think the idea was to um, create high value and markets, um, help create the high value and markets that um, the farmers need to sell their product profitably. And I think that's what we were sort of grossly missing in, I think still missing to an extent in the kelp world and kelp supply chain in, in the United States are those premium high-end uh, end markets that um, can allow us to pay profitable prices to the farmers and um, really create sort of a sustainable you know economics behind uh, kelp farming as, as a whole. Where did the name 12 Tides come from? Uh, so 12 Tides, we, so as you know, most seaweeds are found in the tidal areas of the ocean, high tide submerged, low tide visible, and there are about 12 hours or 12 hours and 25 minutes between the tides. Your mission centers both on sustainability and innovative approaches to food production. Can you share a bit more about the strategy that you have to advance a climate positive impact? Yeah. So 
I think we think about our impact lens in sort of three angles. One is on the regenerative ocean farming piece. The second is on ocean restoration, how we can sort of use our community to further the ocean restoration efforts. And then the last is on, on packaging. On the regenerative ocean farming piece, our seafood system, and I saw this while I was there, is largely extractive um, from the ocean. It's, you know, doesn't, there's not a lot of sort of positive side effects of large-scale commercial fishing and aquaculture. Um, it's pretty much a purely um, extractive industry. And, and there's a lot of things, you know, ways that you can sort of manage that and, and do that better and have uh, you know, fewer negative impacts, but it's rarely a positive one. And so this idea of regenerative ocean farming, where you can really have a positive impact on surrounding marine ecosystems is a kind of a paradigm shift uh, for um for the whole seafood industry. And so uh, that is what we want to sort of support and drive forward. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, supplement, I don't want to say replace, but supplement a lot of the, you know, declining legacy seafood industries um, that I was you know, very much a part of. Um, there are big parts of North America and the United States that have de been dependent on wild cod fisheries for quite a while and there are no wild cod fisheries that are growing anymore and we're not discovering any new wild cod fisheries as a, that time has passed so you know for those communities this idea of, of sort of a new economic opportunity which is not all that different than what they are currently doing or maybe previously been doing in wild cod fishing um, is a, a really compelling one and much more uh, stable than the volatility that is in wild cod fishing these days yeah, can you talk about that a bit more? I mean, we've seen this um, with some other folks we've spoken with in Maine, um, and I know you're, you're sourcing most of your seaweed from Maine, and is it Alaska as well? Yep. So how um, how has this helped to really diversify the income for some of the local fishermen there? Yeah, so there have been a few instances. And so I guess if you look at wild cod fishing over the past you know, 10 or 15 years, it maybe is going down sort of in a long-term you know, trend or, you know, uh, populations or biomass is maybe trending downward over a long period of time. But a, a bigger factor in sort of impact of climate change is the increases in volatility in a given fishery in a given year. And so that idea that your entire fishery could close for an entire year is as um, you know, pretty dramatic um, impacts on, on livelihoods and on the economies of, of those communities. And so I think what regenerative ocean farming allows us to do because it is far more predictable than um, you know, wild cod fishing, especially for certain fisheries, uh, is it'll creates that avenue to have sort of a, a more stable um, income year after year. And, and a lot of times just a supplement, you know, not necessarily a, a replacement, but um, a much more sustainable and consistent uh, sort of supplement for the economy. And I just want to make sure folks understand what regenerative farming means. Why is kelp so advantageous for ocean health? Yeah. Yeah. So when we say regenerative, we mean uh, net positive impact. So the more kelp we can grow, the better. And there's a few things that would define kelp as regenerative. Um, number one is that kelp grows incredibly fast, up to two feet a day for some species. Uh, the species we farm can grow up to about a foot in a day. And in doing that, it absorbs CO2 from the surface waters. And that influx of CO2 into the ocean and into the surface waters is what causes 
Um, it combines with H2O, causes carbonic acid, and that is what causes oceanic acidification, um, which is probably the greatest risk to biodiversity, not only in the uh, oceans, but on the planet in total. Um, and so by growing something like kelp, um, you can mitigate acidification on sort of a localized level. Uh, it also provides other nutrient regulating um, services. So fixing things like you know, nitrogen and phosphorus that might be um, over-indexed in those coastal waters. Um, provides food and habitat for all sorts of marine life. And so I think it was the Nature Conservancy found a pretty uh, substantial increase in both marine biodiversity as well as marine abundance. Um, I think plus 30%, plus 40% respectively uh, in the areas surrounding kelp forests. You mentioned on the supply side that about 90% of seaweed is uh, is not domestic. What's preventing uh, a, a broader growth of the U.S. domestic seaweed production? Yeah, so I, actually before I was referring to all um, seafood as we import about 90% of you know, total seafood. Um, but actually with seaweed, I think it's even more dramatic. I think it's you know, 95 plus percent. And most of what is being imported is nori from uh, Asia. And that would be, especially what's being imported for human consumption, I should say, um, would be nori from Asia, uh, which would be your sushi sheets, those little um, you know, sheets, snacks that you'd find in the grocery store. Um, I think an important thing for North American grown kelp is that we sort of differentiate from you know, those types of seaweed products um, which are great as well, um, but there are so many more, so I think, compelling parts of the North American kelp farming system, methodology, um, and obviously sort of the economic benefits from that, that uh, you know, should be sort of using advertising to sort of differentiate the North American farm products from you know, nori. And I, I would also say that, you know, nori has a, it's just a different product. It's a, you know, nori is a red seaweed, it's a totally different family than kelp in a brown seaweed. Uh, it's sort of like comparing blueberries to potatoes in a way um, in the plants world. And so kelp has a lot of, I think, very unique textural and um, uh, flavor characteristics that I think can make them more appealing to a mainstream U.S. consumer, whereas I think a lot of the nori sheets are pretty hit or miss with the American consumer. And what's though inhibiting uh, having more domestic production of of kelp? Well, I think those the profitable end markets have you know been a challenge for the kelp farming industry um, for for a little while. Um, you know, it needs to be you know sort of economically lucrative for there to really be a big influx of um, of new farmers. And aside from that, I think, um, you know, to create those high value end markets, there's a big educational piece of it. And that's a lot of what we do at 12 Tides uh, because we need to articulate exactly what I just mentioned, you know, why is kelp so compelling? in its own right, why is it you know, maybe different than other seaweed products that you've seen in the past? Um, you know, what are those environmental you know, benefits? You know, where do we get the kelp from? Where, why is that interesting? So all those educational bits of it are um, 
you know, really, I think, compelling to consumers. Uh, it's definitely stuff that people are interested in, but things that very few people actually know about right now. Removing plastic pollution has become a big part of your mission as well. Why have you decided to take on this and what does circularity mean for 12 Tides? Yeah, yeah, that, that's been something that we've wrestled with from the earliest days because as a brand that it was was founded and sort of designed to be ocean positive, the idea of having traditional petroleum-based single-use plastic in our packaging was uh, a little unsettling to say the least. And so we've been working on this question since the beginning of like, what? so we got some constraints of the food system that we're working in a little bit, but what's the best possible thing that we can do given those constraints? And, you know, we've started with um, a bio-based compostable laminate that we designed ourselves um, with a great material science company in Japan. Um, so it's a, basically a metallized um, cellulose kind of wood pulp um, that uh, uh, makes up the majority of our packaging. And this at least sort of eliminates the, the reliance on petroleum-based inputs for our packaging, which I think is, is great. Um, however, given the composting infrastructure in the United States, it realistically has little to no sort of in-life difference between a traditional petroleum-based um, plastic bag right now. Um, and so my, my perspective on it is you know, we get a little bit of those benefits on the front end, probably not a lot on the back end realistically. But from an ecosystem level, we know what doesn't work for the environment and what doesn't work is single-use petroleum-based plastics. And so we got to think of something else. And so we're trying to drive forward the compostability um, angle uh, of food packaging. Um, and you know, hopefully we'll get to a point one day where more infrastructure is built out in the U.S. Um, but also we're very supportive of other, you know, if it's zero waste grocery stores or zero waste, you know, packaging strategies or uh, different alternatives to cutting down on you know, plastic packaging in the food system, we're, um, you know, looking to partner with uh, anybody who's, who's on that mission. Awesome. And are you seeing a lot of demand from other entrepreneurs in the sector and in the, in the CPG space for really pushing for innovation around um, new materials to be used for packaging? Yes. Yeah. A lot of demand. We get hit up about our packaging, you know, probably once a week from another brand who uh, is looking for compostable packaging. It's, it's really hard. So we developed our laminate for us and our product specifically. And it has the the printability and moisture and oxygen barrier specs that we need, but it might not work for your product. And so I don't um, usually recommend that you just try to you know, place a big order for the first compostable packaging that you, you see out there. You really have to like get into the material science of all of it. Um, and I hope that as sort of brands and as consumers, and I think retailers have a role to play in that as well, um, there can be a push toward uh, that compostable infrastructure that the United States really requires to give this any sort of value. And that, you know, becomes, you, you kind of go much more into the, the whole infrastructure um, equation of it all, um, which is hard, a hard place for, 
a brand to kind of play directly, but um, you know, collectively, um, we should all be kind of lobbying and driving support around you know investments in that that new type of infrastructure. Before we look a little bit to the future, I wanted to just discuss a little bit. Um, could you share with listeners your sort of core product lines right now, uh, and, and also maybe even where they might find them and how big the company has has gotten over the past few years? So uh, we are. Uh, we make uh, organic kelp chips right now. They're a crunchy, light, puffy snack that uh, uses kelp as the primary ingredient. Uh, we have fly- five flavors of those now. Um, sea salt, everything, chili, truffle pepper, and vegan cheddar. Um, our products are found in about a thousand retailers uh, in on the western side of the U.S. So uh, those would be like uh, Whole Foods. We're on all the major online platforms as well. Uh, like a Thrive Market, and we'll be launching nationwide uh, in October of this year. So uh, keep an eye out for us then. Awesome. Any additional product lines you're considering for the future or other sort of applications of seaweed and kelp that you're considering? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different use cases for kelp that we can utilize in the future, and we do have sort of adjacent product lines that we have in development, but we're pretty early in growing this uh, initial product line, and you know, we're pretty focused on increasing our distribution there before we uh, jump into too many different categories. And last question: uh, As an environmental entrepreneur and someone who's really coupled the importance of impact into your work, um, any advice you have for other entrepreneurs who are considering uh, getting involved in the the ocean or the broader climate sector? I, I think. You know, the first thing uh, would be to don't be afraid to do things the hard way. I think, you know, when you're on maybe a pretty big mission, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs in the climate sector are, it's easy to, you know, maybe look at the problem that you're trying to solve and be like, oh, this part's going to be really hard and this part's going to be really hard and like, you know, start to pare it down, you know, pretty quickly. And we ran into that at 12 Tides of like, how are we going to build out a supply chain for North American kelp? It doesn't exist. Like we have to do it all ourselves. We do all of our own processing, contract with all the farmers individually. When it came to manufacturing our product, everybody was like, you can't make something with kelp as the number one ingredient. Like just make a regular corn puff and sprinkle a little bit of kelp on at the end. And we were like, no, it's not really what we're trying to do. So we built our own manufacturing. And so it was a much bolder and maybe capital intensive way to go about it. But um, what it resulted in was something that was truly unique and something that is, you know, very true to our mission that has allowed us to to really grow to the point where we are today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for sharing your journey. And I really hope that listeners will take a moment to find a bag of 12 tides. Um, I'll be sure to leave links to where they can find you in the show notes as well, but really appreciate you sharing uh, your background today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Pat, for sharing your experience building 12 tides and how regenerative kelp farming can help restore the ocean. I'll leave links to where you can find Pat and 12 tides in the show notes, which you can find at only.one forward slash upwell. Once again, that's only.one forward slash upwell. This week's episode was engineered by Jake Bowles, Research was supported by Ben Woolman and Anaya Harrison, and our cover art was designed by Joanna Marcus at Only One. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and start your journey to help save the ocean and fix the climate today at only.one. 
For as little as $9, you can start planting coral and mangroves and removing plastics and carbon. Again, that's www.only.one. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Upwell.